This episode is brought to you by DeSanto Propane. They've been serving the clean energy needs of upstate New York homeowners, businesses, and home builders since 1937. With a reputation of reliability and dependability, DeSanto Propane is ready to serve you. Call 1-800-752-4574 or visit desantopropane.com to learn more. And by the Fox family of dealerships located on Route 5 in Auburn. It's all there and all together at the Fox family of dealerships. Visit foxdealerships.com to learn more. Thanksgiving is that time of year when we reflect upon what we are grateful for, and Antonio Gomez is grateful for coming to Geneva nearly 25 years ago after fleeing from Guatemala and crossing the U.S.-Mexican border as an undocumented immigrant. But here is Gomez telling his inspiring story and why he is grateful during this holiday season with us at Finger Lakes One News. Welcome, Antonio. Thank you, Gabe. And I was wondering if we could start our conversation as a focus because of the holiday season. This is Thanksgiving time. We are here reflecting upon what we are all grateful for in the Finger Lakes. And I wanted to talk with you because your story is inspiring and has brought a lot of joy and sadness for you and your family. Start where you think the story begins for you in coming to America. Well, it all started, um, and I'm going to start just from the beginning, who actually Antonio Gomez is. Um, growing up in, in the area where I was born, so I come from the country of Guatemala. I was born in, in the state of Jalapa or Departamento of Jalapa. And from there, I, my uh, family or my mother moved to the South Pacific of Guatemala, which I, I lived about probably 15, about 12 miles away from the Pacific coast of Guatemala. And from time to time, I would uh, go and stay with my grandfather, as I remember. But um, I was raised by a single mother with three children, which... Um, my oldest sister, and then I was the one that followed, was, her name is Clara Luz, which, as her name translated, would be Claire Light. Um, so, that's, uh, she's the oldest. Um, she, right now, it's about, she's about 44, and I'm 41, and my youngest brother is Luis, and he has been in the U.S. also. But uh, uh, g- going back, I remember as a child, because of the cowardness of my father, um, to leave you know, his family and not confront them. Um, so this is where Antonio Gomez comes from, from that type of uh, um, broken home. But I was raised by a, a warrior woman, which is my mother, Catalina. 
And but I can tell you that growing up uh, in the cotton fields of La Gomera, um, it was uh, Finca Las Acacias, which is a ranch. The uh, the acacias, um, they uh, that's what I remember growing up and and living my childhood. That uh, there was all the parents would leave their children in the actual camp, not camp, but uh, the ranch. And it was it was a big ranch. I would say they probably had at least six thousand to seven thousand acres um and they have this big ranch where they live all the children would stay there and so this is uh what i remember um talk about um uh child abuse right there but you know that i call that survival (laughs) (laughs) just because um i remember just me and my my sister um and my brother, um, I used, my sister used to be the babysitter, you know, at the age, uh, th- th- what I could remember, she was probably five, and she was uh, babysitting me and my brother. So as I became a little older, because I was a troublemaker, um, I always loved to fight, um, even as a child. Um, my mother says, you can't stay home anymore. So I remember my mother picking me up and taking me to uh, to the cotton fields very early in the morning, five in the morning, and I would go and stay with her all day long, cotton, picking cotton in the field just to, you know, make my mother make money just to to actually have food for us. Um, there were times where there was no, um, there wasn't any, um, any food, so we would find uh, in the wild, see if we can get something to eat, so... Uh, there were times that we didn't have shelter, so um, it's pretty tough talking about some of that, that stuff because as I remember the things that I went through, it kind of chokes me up, and that's what makes made me the man that I am. Uh, I'm strong, and I'm very passionate about life and also for the things that I do. But I remember times that we didn't have a place to stay, and we, uh, my mother just gathers all up, and we would sleep under a tree. Luckily, you know, we don't have the four stations that we have here in the U.S. or in New York that you got the winter time that <laughs> nobody could go and live under a tree, you know. But <laughs> but over there, you know, the weather cooperates some, so you don't have to worry about the cold during the night. But you still have to worry about, you know, fear. Uh, uh, you don't know what's going to happen to you the next day. And I remember looking at my mother, she trying to be tough, but I could remember looking at my mother and at t- from time to time to cry because of how tough it was. As I continued to grow, grow there and help m- my mother, it, it was pretty tough. I could see her going through a very... Uh, times where she didn't have money to actually feed us we didn't have clothing i i could remember that we would go to town once a, once a month and she would get groceries but um it was tough living uh um that way but i could remember that we had fun times too um 
with uh, with my 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 mom and my um, my brothers and sisters, and so there was there was part of my childhood, and other thing that also that came into the scene and in, in my life was. Um, my grandfather, because from time to time my grandfather lived just about uh, 10 miles away and he would come and visit my fa my grandfather Felipe, uh, Felipe, Philip or Felipe, he was, he was a merchant. And so he would come from time to time and he wanted to, I was the favorite grandson and he even adopted me into, um, into the, to the family, you know, being his grandson but he adopted me as one of his sons. Uh, don't ask me why, because he said there is something special about you. I remember about that. So I became his companion. So he would ask my mother, I'd like to take uh, um, your son and have him come with me, and I would go with him. And he also not only as a merchant, he was also a, a preacher for the Catholic Church. So he was good with people. As he was uh, selling his goods, he would stop to houses and talk to people about God's word, and and help people. He was one of those type of type of persons, and he had a he had a farm, right at the about a mile from the ocean, and he would raise chickens, turkeys, uh, ducks, and uh, sesame seed, uh, peanuts. Uh, so if you ask me about peanuts, I'm, I'm, I'm experienced when it comes to grow that and also know how to uh, harvest it and roast it. So I was the guy that roasted the peanuts for my grandfather. Um, and so I would go and, and stay with them. And even my uncles, they, uh, my uncles don't call me, um, I'm supposed to call them uncles and they call me uncle. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it was it was nice. The reason why I would go with my grandfather because my grandfather really I wanted that fatherhood uh, uh, face, and that uh, and he did that. He gave me that. Um, he really I learned a lot from him. But the greatest thing is when when a child sees a father figure, a male figure. In their life, it, it kind of shapes their uh, their character, and so I can I can see why I am what the way I am, you know, with people. How I like to always listen to people's uh, um, concerns, problems, and situations. It was because my grandfather Philip that he would uh, he would take time, and he would take even if he didn't make money. He will always take out of his pocket and give it to some poor family that that really uh, was struggling, going through from time to time. It sounds like, despite tough times economically speaking and living in poverty in Guatemala, it seems that you've had a really strong support system. But what do you think led you to entering kind of like a life of crime at that point? Do you think that it was just the economic circumstances of Guatemala, that there weren't opportunities? Was it a sense of belonging? Or what do you think kind of pivoted that story for you? Well, I think I want to touch something here that is a little, a very, very, uh, very personal, but I don't have a problem because I, um, it takes time to go through the, 
a healing process and this is something that I want parents to be aware you know when it comes to child abuse um, I think that happened that Pandora box was open um, with uh, and this is something that um, I don't I don't have a problem talking because this is gonna help other people come out of the closet and come out of their their childhood uh, um, <clears throat> back when I was a child on my mother on my father's side even though my mother didn't want anything to do with my father because of the type of person he was he he actually left her for another woman which I have like uh, I probably have at least another 20 brothers half brothers that I don't even know who they are um, but on my father's side from my grandmother and my grandfather, I had an aunt that uh, she, we would go, uh, they would ask me also to go to their home. And she was the one that attended me. But what my, and this is something that I had talked to my mother later on. What really entered into my heart was um, she abused me as a child, sexually abused me. So I can say that there, there was a door that was open and there was an anger that went right inside of me. So that, that's one of the things that uh, I think that's what opened the, the, the Pandora's box when it comes to me getting into the criminal activities, uh, being wild and didn't really care about life, being angry. But I, I, that's what I remember. Thank you for sharing a very personable experience, and, and I was unaware of that myself. I thank you, Antonio, for coming forward about that. I think that that was very insightful and unfortunate that you had to go through that as a child. And since you said that that helped kind of prompt you to this criminal life that you lived in Guatemala, I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on how that transition, how did that happen from the youthful, innocent Antonio Gomez into a more older, more mature Antonio Gomez who was growing up on the streets of Guatemala? Well, let's just go back just a little bit. I think that really helped to shape that anger in me was uh, growing up without a father. It was tough. So you look up a family, and when I used to go to school, you know how kids are very uh, nasty to each other. And that was rolled on my face. And, and it made me angry, you know. I was bullied because of that. And so that also started um, the anger inside of me. All I wanted to do was just hurt hurt somebody because I was hurt inside. So and I and and the reason I'm 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 bringing this up I I don't have a problem sharing this because I know this story is gonna help many other uh, individuals and even young adults that are going through the same situation. That's why I'm always take the time to listen with the heart. And, and so 
as I went through through this, I can remember that being bullied in school. Um, the the only your mother is not there because she's always working, and your father figure is not there because there's no one, and so that's why I take uh, when my grandfather would come to listen uh, to take me to his house, I could feel that that support, but I could see that uh, that what started their anger was that uh, their abuse and not having that father figure to defend me. You know, uh, every child sees their mother as somebody good, but they always see their father as a, um, a hero. I don't care how bad of a father uh, you are, but a child always sees that father figure as, um, as a hero. And that what is all, uh, that's what I always remember. Um, and, and, and in my mind, it always, and, and this is what it's, uh, in every other, uh, person's life, uh, they grew up without a, a parent, a father, uh, goes into their mind and, uh, and they think, they're thinking about, and the only thing as a child that you can think is why did the, did my father left me? Was I, was I no good? And then you, you, I, I want you to process that, and I want other people out there that are going to be listening to this snapshot or read this. Um, no, it's not your fault, but that's what I that's what I that I had to deal with. And so, thinking that I was the f I w it was my fault, it created me to be angry. And so, I went and it's like, um, and life being hard, the no number uh, that's number uh, number one. It was the abuse. Number two, well, I would say number one was my not having a father figure. Number two was, was the abuse because of the father not being there. That that happened. Number three, it was uh, poverty that I had to work hard, even at at the beginning, being the the male in the house. Um, my sister was the oldest. I was the second. Um, I was I was the second, but I was the male, so I took the role of the leader. Even as a child, I was uh, I became an adult right away. I didn't have no childhood, so that that contributed to to those factors to become who I, later on I I I was I was bad in my in the community. <laughs> so um, because I had to provide for my family as I became, you know, a little older, eight, nine. And you probably can research that in, uh, in third world countries. You see the, uh, how the, the children, uh, you see them in the streets working. I was one of them. At the age of nine, ten, I remember having my own uh, business. And I was making good money, but, but that's, not a, that's not something that a child has to go through. But I had to do it because of the need that we were going through. Even though I made good money, but I, I should have been playing. I should have been uh, um, uh, focusing more on my school. I thank God for the brains that he gave me because I was, I was a smart child. Um, I didn't have to study that hard. Um, I was good in math. I'm good in math. 
and good with numbers. I was good with uh, uh, photographic memory, remembering things that the teacher would say. And I was uh, in school. I was w I was working. I would go to work at six o'clock in the morning, work until midday, um, and then go back home from run to the house. And there was about a mile and uh, and a third a mile, one point two miles that I had to run. No bicycle, nothing. Just run and go t take a quick shower, eat my lunch, and then at school that I had to run another half a mile be at school at one o'clock and so it was it was tough but as I started uh, working in the streets I was a shoe shiner and I would go from corner to corner looking for business I would uh, I would find out other other kids even adults would beat me up and so that turned that anger also and I became more angry. And so um, I turned to become one of the baddest in the, in the neighborhood. I didn't really care who I hurt. I just, uh, I just didn't want anybody hurting me anymore. And so I became just intolerable, intolerable. And I just didn't care and I was just doing things that I wasn't supposed to, getting in trouble, fighting. Um, never, never in my life I, you know, went to stealing, but just the, that life of uh, fighting in the streets, and I became one of the tough ones in the neighborhood that I grew up in Jalapa, because we moved back from the from the Pacific, and then we went and went back and lived in in Jalapa. Being um, abused by the community, by other kids, and so that shaped to be somebody that that was just angry, totally angry. Uh, didn't care about anybody. I wanted to be the best, but I didn't care how I did it. I just do it. I remember you told me many times before that you've seen a lot of gruesome incidents and scenarios in Guatemala and I know this is obviously bleak but do you remember what the most traumatic experience that you recall living in Guatemala that you saw firsthand? I saw a lot of drugs uh, on the streets I thank God that I never never got hooked on to any of that. I only got hooked on alcohol. But um, I was definitely, a lot of um, my friends that, at that time they were friends of mine that got killed um, just for some little bit of pot or a little bit of cocaine that they got, uh, they got killed. And so those memories uh, really affected me. And even I, uh, I was at the point of death uh, uh, one time just because of fighting um, where I was at the gunpoint and and machete with, uh, with a crowd that came after me. And luckily I came 
um, what do you call it, unscathed. Sometimes in life, there are things that happen to you for a purpose, even though we don't, we don't understand it at the time. Now I can see it because I knew I had to go through this to help someone. And this story is going to get somewhere and it's going gonna, it's gonna to help someone that is struggling and it hasn't come out of that, that rut that I was in. And I was, I'm able to share this because um, I'm healed. In my heart, I'm healed. You had so much anger built up in you and the situation was getting worse and worse in Guatemala during the, the guerrilla wars at that time. And it takes a lot of effort and mental and physical effort to release that anger, right? To cleanse yourself and to heal yourself and your well-being. And so I wanted to ask you, Antonio, when was it enough was enough? What were the reasons or justifications that prompted you to say, you know what, I'm going to leave Guatemala? And can you elaborate on kind of your journey and how you reached the border, the United States southern border? Well, it all started with a, um, it's a shoe shiner. I had a friend from Mexico that he started a, um, a restaurant business in the city that I lived at. And and we became good friends. I was the guy that come up to him every week and I sh- shoe shine him. And and he became very close friends with. Uh, well, he became boyfriend of my best friend's sister, which I liked. <laughs> um, but she was too older for me. I was always joked to uh, to my friend. Um, and so, and that's how we became friends. And and he would uh, he would uh, bring people to United States from Guatemala. From time to time, you see him coming up, and and he would um, disappear for about a month, two months, and um, I never asked. And and then I asked him the question. He said, "Oh, I'm, I do this, like a coyote, something like that." But he would just go from Guatemala to border of Mexico. And there, somebody else would actually cross you to the United States uh, Mexico border, border and, and border. And I, um, and then he said, "You know what? He knew I didn't have any money. You want to come with me?" But at this time, I already have tried to come to the United States at the age of fifteen. My stepfather, uh, he stepped. Um, I stepped into the plate, uh, my stepfather, Marcos, even though he gave me a little bit of father figure, um, but he ended up living again. The only, the best thing that he did is uh, he helped me come to the U.S., uh, monetarily speaking. But uh, the first time we tried, we tried, we tried coming through the, um, when I was 15, and it was at the, uh, we went through the, the Cucumán border with Guatemala border in Mexico, and we went through Ch- uh, Tapachula, which you can research this as one of the greatest uh, places where people come in into into Mexico to come to the U.S. The Cucumán is the 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 the, bo- uh, the border, and the Cucumán is actually the name of the Guatemalan hero. 
so which is a Mayan uh, uh, hero. So they they, na they named that that border of the the of the hero of Guatemala. So we went through there and we traveled about probably two or three hours, no, maybe a couple hours, and we were supposed to go around the 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 checkpoint, the Mexican uh, immigration checkpoint, and so we had to s stop before like five miles before and then walk on foot well the the thieves and robbers they knew this and so they wait for all the people that go through there and they with guns and machetes and knives they will stop you and steal all your money because they know that you have money so we got caught and everybody got robbed mugged, and i was the last one at gunpoint, with a forty-five in my head and with a machete in my neck, they um, they asked me for my money. One o'clock in the morning. Here I am, fifteen. They could have pulled the trigger and just take the money, but they didn't. So I prayed, and I said, "God help me." And He did. And I even was able to talk to the robbers and say, hey, I'm long ways from my house. I don't have a way to get back. Could you please leave me some money so I can go back? And they were gracious enough to, to they talk to one another. It was two of them. Um, give them some money, the, the one said. Uh, and the other, why are we going to give them money? You know, ah, we already have enough, we, the other people. We took away a, a lot from the other. So they gave me 70,000 pesos. With that 70,000 pesos, I was able to go back. I was able to get back from where I was to the border of Mexico with uh, Guatemala. It wasn't a lot, but I, um, I went there. Uh, I got to the border, but they didn't see that I was carrying a... Uh, um, a necklace, a gold necklace. They didn't see that, so they, they because they take everything who watches her, and they didn't see that. So with that necklace, I was able to buy a ticket to get to the border of Guatemala and Mexico, and and with that money, I went, uh, and then I went to some pawn shop, and I said, "How much you give me for this necklace?" And he says, "Oh, I'll give you." I mean, they're they're cheap anyway. They'll give you a little as possible and I told my situation I'm sorry I can go to give you this and so I don't remember how much he gave me but I, that was enough to pay the ticket from the border to get to Guatemala City and so that was uh, that was tough um, so I was I was without food for I would say probably about two days I couldn't eat
better? Yes. Okay, great. Sorry for that. So I was, uh, I was without food for about two, two days or two and a half days. But all I wanted is to get home. That was the first time I ever tried to come to the United States. And just going back, I always had a dream. I was always got up and in the middle of the night and I would see that I was in this gray country with many lights. And I would just got up like that and I said, I don't understand what that meant. So just to throw that in there, just so, so people understand, um, out there when they listen uh, to the snapshot or read, I had those visions coming to the United States, but I didn't understand that. And so, so as I went to the pawn shop, the guy just gave me some, he gave me some, uh, gave me the money, so I was able to get to Guatemala City. And there was about five, uh, it's about five hours drive on the bus, uncomfortable as ever. And, and I got to Guatemala City, and Guatemala City, I was able to, luckily I was able to get to the, to the bus station that went to my hometown, which is Jalapa, which is uh, very well known in that area. And I was friends with, with the bus drivers and with the uh, bus uh, helpers. And I told them my situation. I told them, you know, I got mugged and I don't have any money. To, uh, um, can you um, take me home and when I get there, I'll pay you. And they said, fine. They did because they were friends of mine. And they did so. As soon as I got off the bus, I went and I went to a friend and said, lend me some money. I need to pay this. And, and, th and this is how, that's the first time, my first experience, uh, uh, not, not f with death, but one that was really uh, a close one. And I was able to make it. So you said the first journey was when you were 15, is that correct? Correct. And so when was the second journey? How old were you then at that point? I was 17. So I, uh, whenever, well, the first time I didn't make it, I, I just, it just happened. It was like 15 days that it happened. So I just went back home like nothing happened. Nobody knew. And so I just went back and I just went, went back to school and just like nothing. I was devastated, but I, I knew I was going to try it again. But whatever really pushed me to come to the U.S. was when I was 17 and and they were still going out w with the guerrilla war and they were grabbing uh, uh, kids off the street. I was this scrawny little kid, you know, that didn't weigh probably 90 pounds wet, you know, and I was 17, I was so skinny. Uh, so, and as I, as I'm working, I was a shoe shiner, I had my, my own spot and, and the officials came and they grabbed me and they were gonna throw me in the, in the truck that they just picked up the a uh, few more and they threw them in there and they take them to boot camp and as they grabbed me one from my right arm one from my left arm and i was able to i managed to let go of one and i slipped off the other one and um they tried to chase me but i said no way you're gonna cut me because i was a state champ and and uh and in that state <laughs> as a runner so <laughs> you want to go at it go ahead <laughs> so i escaped and that was my second time and um that's when 
uh, I told my stepfather, he was the only one to make it. He was with me and the first time that I tried. He was the only one that escaped. He didn't get mugged and he made it into the U.S. What was that feeling for you as someone who, by destiny, wasn't originally born in the United States? How was that feeling for you when you crossed that border, that symbolic national border at that time in your life? When my friend says, uh, you want to accompany us and um, just, get the, just get money for the, for the trip. And as I went on, and this is how you're going to do it. You, you're going to become like an, a student, dress well, and create some books, and, and immigration officials won't bother you. So we went through some rough terrain, and we were able to see. Um, um, we went through the border of Petén and in Mexico, and Belize, right through the jungles, and we were able to see a lot of uh, drug cartel activity throughout the whole area. It's like you go through a river, and then you see. Uh, that was the, the scariest part right there. But there was like an army, with, and they were not army, with, uh, um, with guns, machine guns, all over uh, the river that we were going traveling in, in a canoe. So we went to, arrived in Campeche, um, the border of Guatemala with uh, Quintana Roo in, in Guatemala, and then went down through the... Uh, through the um, the Gulf of Mexico, went through Villahermosa, Veracruz, Mexico, and then we ended up in Matamoros border by Corpus Christi's, right in that corner. So he left us right there, and then we had to travel with another group of people. My 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 uh, scariest moment was that I was thinking about was swimming the Rio Grande. That was the thing that I was thinking about the most because I heard a lot of stories about people losing their lives right there. And luckily, at that time that I went through, I remember when I left home, it was actually two days before Valentine's Day because I remember picking up the the gift. And I was at the border of um, in United States in Mexico Probably about the 19th or so. 19th, and then we waited there a couple of days, and we crossed the next day or so. But it was, the river was dry, so I, I, we walked on foot, and the water was about to my knees. So there was, and then we went through another bunch of checkpoints, and as the guy, the guy was taking us. Would, he had a gun and everything, and then he would go through checkpoints, and, and all I could see is he handling like a little roll of money here. And the guy said, go. And then, and then we were stopping another point, and then, okay, another roll of money, okay, go, and so on and so forth. So it was like three different stops that we were able to, to get picked up uh, by car, and then we travel. We walked like seven hours on, in the desert, and then I, we got picked up on cars and and were taken to San Antonio. But something strange happened in the way from 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 the border to to San Antonio. The we got stopped by state trooper, and state trooper 
called INS and INS never showed up. And he says, he, he waited for two hours and, the, and he said, you know what? Um, I don't, this guy from INS is not coming. So what I'm going to do is uh, you guys go ahead, go. So that was the first miracle that happened. You know, because I could have been sent back the second time. And that, that probably would have been my last and I wouldn't have probably tried it again. But I flew from San Antonio to Fort Myers. Don't ask me how. But the, the, criminal, the criminals know how to do their job. Now you can't do it because now it's why they got the TSA. Yeah, TSA. Um, you have to have identity. At that time, I wasn't asked anything at all. So I was able to fly, and that experience to me was the best experience I ever had as far as, as, far as flying and um, plane. To me, it was like the greatest experience you could ever have, the rush, being up in the air. And here you are, a guy that uh, all his past, and I, I just felt that something really... Uh, from that moment on, I was somebody else different, and I was going to become somebody different from that moment on. And and I went, and I landed in Fort Myers, Florida. I catch up with my stepfather, uh, Marcos, and, and, and I worked there for a couple, couple months. Yeah, about three months. And then it got too hot, and then I said, we, we had to leave. And... And he knew here in upstate New York, so he we said, well, I, I got another place that we can go work. I was wondering if you can talk about how you traveled basically from Fort Myer up to Geneva and how you ended up here in the Finger Lakes more broadly because you've made this your home. And for some, it may seem odd coming all the way north from you know, the South where there's more similar culture in that respect, temperature and things of that sort, that you would change your life so drastically shortly after coming to this country as an undocumented immigrant. And so I was wondering if you could talk about what inspired you to move upstate and if you can reflect upon your experiences becoming an American citizen in many ways, regardless of papers. Well... All I could tell you is that I, I wasn't even thinking about upstate New York. I don't think that was ever in my mind. <laughs> I think there was <laughs> something that um, it was a divine appointment to live and to be in this area. I, I That's what I call it because there are t things in your life that you don't even understand what you go through and where you end up. And then when you reflect upon, you really see that uh, it was somebody higher than you guiding your steps to and i call that the almighty god our creator so but at that time i didn't understand and i didn't even know who he was i had an idea of who he was but didn't know in reality so all i can answer that question that way but i can say that living in the pacific coast of guatemala a mile from the ocean i know how muggy it gets and so when we traveled from florida it got too hot i mean you could be in the shade and you're sweating like a pig <laughs> <laughs> if we can use that term i never seen a pig sweat anyway but people use it <laughs> 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 and so <clears throat> we travel north 
And so he said, uh, there's a spot over in Maryland that we can go and we can go try. That he knew. I don't know. I just, I don't even remember where I ended up with him. I, I, I can tell you, you asked me where was in Maryland. I don't know. I like to go back there um, because that's part of my story. So I move on from the girl that was in Florida and and in two weeks I, I managed to uh, land another relationship with another Mexican girl and f and <laughs> and in Maryland, which I don't know the town. If you, <laughs> I don't because I didn't know English. <laughs> and so the day uh, I went there and we were working with uh, peaches and uh, um, great um, strawberries, picking strawberries and and um, pruning uh, peaches. And we didn't like the job because I I was able to have this friendship and and then became boyfriend and girlfriend with this girl. Then the same day, uh, the same day that I asked the girl, "Would you like to be my girlfriend?" and the girl, I said, "Give me a day and then I'll tell you," and so on and so forth. Well, the next day she says, um, "Yes, I want to be your girlfriend. I think you're a cool guy." I mean. And that's what she said, so uh, you, you're going to have to go ask her. <laughs> but then the same day, my father says, my stepfather says, um, we got to go. And then I had to talk to her, and I said, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm leaving. <laughs> 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 so this is so I'm throwing this because this is part of my story. I wanted to circle back real quick, though, before mm -hmm. we continue. Mm -hmm. You know, you bring up this part, which is really important, I think, for a lot of stories about immigrants coming to America, which is the language barrier. And for someone like you who didn't know English at that time, how did it feel engaging in a new environment, at least in Florida where, you know, San Antonio, Spanish is widely spoken? And I feel like maybe in Maryland it is now, but back then, you know, 25 years ago or so, and maybe it wasn't as prevalent. So I was wondering how did you deal with that as a non-English speaker coming to America and living in America and trying to make your life here happen? I had to depend on my, my stepfather. He know he knew how to speak a little bit of English, so enough to go go to uh, Burger King and ask for a burger or McDonald's or go to a restaurant and just pointed i mean i don't think the language barrier i mean you, there's a way to to communicate with people there's always it was tough for me it was tough and so one of the things that i always wanted to do is learn english that was number one priority for me in order for me to become who i am um and know the culture and the people i had to learn english so it was tough because <clears throat> so when we moved from Maryland, uh, Maryland to to the uh, upstate New York, we ended up in New York City. From New York City, we took a bus coming to the Finger Lakes area, and so that the bus didn't even come to Geneva because they didn't have a bus station in Geneva. It was stopped at exit forty-two by the Carperin. So. I w we were able to stay at the Carper Inn. We didn't have no money. Um, and so we stayed at the Carper Inn at the, the lobby. And then we asked the guy, can we stay here until, you know, gets... Uh, I guess we did have money. He did have money. Um, 
to wait until the morning so we could call a taxi because we were dropped about three, about two o'clock in the morning. So that's how we ended up, and we ended up at, um, we went to Geneva, and from Geneva, um, we were taken to my previous, uh, my my employer right now, we went to Peterson Farms as for a job. <laughs> and I'm going to put this in here because I think it's funny that, um, that we ended up there, and and my father had worked for Petersons in the past, my my stepfather. And so when he uh, when he went there, they uh, they told him, you know, we have a job for you, but your your son, this is a scrawny little runt, you know, he's too small. Um, here I am, seventy years of age, and and he looked at me that I look like ten. He says, I don't have a job for him. I can probably get in trouble. So, but he said, go to my, go to my, um, my, um, my brother-in-law, which is Hanson's. That's where I, I went. Maybe he'll have a spot for him and maybe not. But at least, and so we went there. And he was able to give me a job. I mean, we worked little at the time, but, but my father got a job and, he was uh he would ride tractors my father did because they knew him and and I would work in the fields hauling cabbage easy work and later on I become and I cut cabbage and so on and so forth so my stepfather left and I stayed they needed some people to stay and I don't remember how I ended up staying because it was cold I just didn't want to move I just decided to stay but first of all I developed a good friendship with uh, Eric Hansen, which uh, this is the family that took me under. You know, the Hansen family took me under. Um, and what I was looking for, I was looking for a relationship, a friendship, and family. I didn't have anybody here. So my stepfather says, I'm going back to Florida. And I said, I'm not going back over there. I don't know. I just can tell you that there was divine... Uh, intervention in that uh, in that decision, and they needed some people to stay just to help in the wintertime trimming cabbage, and it was easy work, and and I could polish my English. So when I when we when I got here, they had they were uh, having teachers coming to the migrant camp uh, doing uh, English um, classes, and I took three months of English classes there, and. By those three months, I was able to carry a conversation with people because I, I was quick starting, uh, memorize. I have like I like I said I have a um, photographic memory, so I would memorize. I memorized the whole uh, dictionary, and then uh, I listened and pay attention to what my teacher said, and I would go in my room after I finished, and even when I was working, I was meditating and talking in English, listen to English music, and I would um, I would go home, and I just, uh, when we finished work, I would go eat, and then go home, and I start meditating for long hours, long hours, and then practice my English. So by the, by the end of that season, in 95, in November, September, uh, December, they had a, uh, another class that started here in um, Jordan Hall in Geneva. And I took another three months, 
and that's all it took for me to learn English. But that's you can do anything when you when you really want to do something and you really want to accomplish great things. I wanted to bring up before your path to citizenship, and so I was wondering if you could talk about what that process was for you as someone who was a Guatemalan national who came to the United States as an undocumented immigrant, and how was that process for you transitioning? to America and becoming a legal citizen of the United States? Well, I knew that coming into the U.S. illegally, I was, I was in trouble anyway, that eventually I was going to get caught and that nobody else was at fault but me because I entered this country illegally. So I wasn't blaming anybody. Um, but the best thing that ever happened to me is that um, the farm where I worked uh, got raided and I was the first one that got picked up by INS and they asked me, are you have documents? And I said, don't, I don't. So they caught me up and they took me and they take the rest of them because they were undocumented. I got put in, um, taken, taken to jail and the immigration officer found out that I didn't have any papers. I didn't have any type of identification. I was just working. And they talked me. They put me and they took everybody, 11 of us, 10 from Mexico, and I was the one from Guatemala. And so, and they decided that they were going to sign here and we'll send you back. And I said, uh, I don't want to go back. I know what's waiting for me over there. So that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And they said, well, if you don't sign, the judge might not give you a hearing until about six months. And I said, that's okay. I don't have no, I'm in no rush. So the only thing, time, you know, if if I would have been, if it would have come to the six months and then let the judge decide and send me back, well, at least I try. So I was fighting for something that, that I was hoping that they they would, you know, do something. And so, and that started my process. So I pay, I pay bail bond and I got out and about three months later, there's a car saying, you know, I get, get my worker's permit. And, and as I got my worker's permit, I went, uh, then I had to keep, you know, not legal, but I could work. And then I got my um, my residence my residence card and kept working, kept working until I, I was able to become a naturalized citizen. And I became a naturalized citizen in two thousand and uh, two thousand and five. I could have done it sooner, but I I just didn't uh, I just didn't do it. So basically, ten years. Yeah, just about. What were your feelings when you obtained your citizenship status? Did you keep your Guatemalan status as well, or are you a dual citizen, or are you just a citizen of the United States at this point? And what was the decision-making process behind that for you? Well, I had to become my own lawyer uh, to do that kind of stuff, and so um, I I kept my dual citizenship, so I have citizenship from Guatemala 
so I want to be able to go back and forth because that's where my you know my upbringings were but as soon as I came here in 1995 I started a new life um, I started a new family that um, took me under the Hanson family in Stainland New York and um, and I just want to you know thank uh, Don Hanson uh, Edward Hansen and Eric Hansen and Jessica Hansen, you know, because they became my my second family. I, I was adopted into that family. And and so when I became a U.S. citizen, I mean, even at 1995, I had forgotten about everything that was negative to me, and I was going to start a new life. And I became, you know, focusing and conquering uh, when I started with them, uh, working, and I asked them to teach me not the trade of working hard, but I became a, a key employee to become a production supervisor for them, and not only as part of the family, but uh, somebody that worked hard and earned everything that he had. So, so when I went to, in 2005, when I I was sorted in to become a U.S. citizen, and I, I put my hand, uh, I swore to put my hand on my heart, and I said that I was gonna uh, protect and defend the the Constitution of the United States from foreign and domestic uh, t uh, terrorist, and I I said that I meant it with all my heart, and and I shared tears because I knew that this country. Uh, had become my house and had become my my country. So I don't feel that I that I was born in Guatemala. I feel like I was born here. Even though there is going to be some other uh, uh, Hispanic Latino community that it might might talk about it because how how are you now now that you have come from you know from a different country now you want to feel like you are superior? No, not superior. I just want to be grateful for what this country has um, done for me and my family. And I embrace it with all my heart. And whenever we recite the, the Pledge of Allegiance and we, we sing the national anthem, I don't sing it like, oh, <laughs> it's like another uh, another anthem. I, I internalize it and I sing it with all my heart and I share tears because of the love that I have for this country, for the community, and and for the second chance that this country has given me, and so I'm very grateful for this. So, and reflecting on Thanksgiving, you know, this is a a good thing that uh, out there people should be thinking about it. That you live in one of the greatest nations that has ever existed in the in the history of the world. The United States has been a beacon of light for many other countries and including me that needed a hope needed a miracle and here i am i am a miracle and living the american dream do you remember your first thanksgiving here in geneva as a field worker with hansen farms do you remember that did you celebrate during that time of the holiday season how did you interpret that because it was so new to you as a you know, it was a new culture to you, and I'm not sure if Thanksgiving is celebrated in Guatemala, but how did you, I guess, reconcile that some, you know, 25 years ago? What was that experience like for you if you had one? Well, 
Um, to me, Thanksgiving uh, is nothing that we celebrate in Guatemala. Um, it's just, it's just a little bit of a different, a different culture. But then, it's my first Thanksgiving here. It was just the warmth, just having a family. To me, that was the greatest thing. It wasn't. It wasn't anything to do with the food, which that's what everybody wants to make it like. But it's more like getting together and being thankful for what you have. And in the case of Thanksgiving. Um, you know the first uh, settlers that came to the United States. Uh, how they, uh, when they had the, the, their first Thanksgiving, because they had a rough life coming to this area, and then uh, went through hardship with the winter, and and towards the end, they uh, the Indians, if I'm not mistaken, were able to share with them some of their tradition and the food so it's it's all about um here i am somebody that comes from another country and i was brought in into this family and so to me that was the greatest satisfaction and and it took me just a few years to understand the actual meaning and then what it, what it means to celebrate a true uh thanksgiving but it was it was nice to be included in the table and so whose table were you included at during your first Thanksgiving? Was it with the Hansen family or was it a group of fellow field workers who worked at Hansen Farms? What was that experience like, I guess, in that dynamic for you? That was with the Hansen family. See, by that time, um, by the time of November, um, all the field workers would be gone and there would be only like two or three that would stay in this area. And then they had to go back to certain different areas like uh, Florida uh, looking for new jobs because there's no jobs in this area. So they would go back and and they, uh, and they only kept like a couple guys that they only work a few hours here and there in the wintertime. So that's why many didn't stay because uh, for me, it didn't, I didn't really care. I really loved the relationship that I built up with with the family. And I just wanted to stay more and learn more, and and so they provided m more. Um, um, there was that knitting together, and so that's how I um, I was able to celebrate with them. The rest of them, they were they were gone by by the fifteenth of November. Uh, because you you try to finish the harvest before the Thanksgiving. Uh, season starts so you uh two weeks after november everybody will be gone and that was me and, and another guy that probably stayed but they the other guys that stay here which i remember was pablo and noe i think but they had their own girlfriends and and so they would come to geneva and i was the only single guy that they have a transportation, they have anything. And even uh, to the point that when I was uh, not, I, didn't, I was undocumented, I didn't have, um, I always respected the law, so I didn't want to drive without, you know, having a license. I always walked or I used a bicycle, that's it. And so, so I would stay at the, at the camp, they have a camp and that's where the people stay. And, 
but I would in many occasions where the, whenever they had uh, different activities I was with them I was just part of the family from there on and so how do you look forward to celebrating your Thanksgiving with your family here in Geneva this year um, I always think about other people first um, I remember um, when I was uh, adopted into the family that that took me under um, and Thanksgiving was one of those years that all, all of us would get together and I always loved not so much turkey I'm not a turkey guy um, but you ever I don't know if you ever seen the commercial about the turkey and the pig and they said <laughs> the turkey says that <laughs> pork is more healthy for you than turkey <laughs> <laughs> and so as I was um, I remember the the Thanksgiving dinner and and I I just love the the time of spending with the family and and just leave you know any type of electronics oh uh, for that sake set all of you sit down and watch the football game you know this is where I embrace uh, the culture learning about American football um, and just sit down and just have a cup of coffee uh, be by the fireplace but it's all about mm, thinking about others and I always felt that I was that person that they they wanted to make me feel comfortable and as as I reflect on Thanksgiving this uh, this year I want to think about others that ha don't have what I what I have and just be a family to them and just reach out to them with a meal um, if you just that this is the way I think just to be thankful help somebody else provide a meal for somebody else provide the warmth of a family that maybe somebody doesn't have I always identify myself with a with a movie called um, the blinds the, the blind side the movie is Sandra Bullock and uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everyone's seen The Blind Side by now. Hopefully, yeah. Well, <laughs> hopefully that every. Oh, oh, I'm promoting this movie, and so hopefully Sandra Bullock <laughs> would come to Geneva and and she would be able to uh, uh, come and do something in in, in Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> but we have good stories here in Geneva too. But um, but I was that child, that black child in that movie, and I was taken by this family. And and provided that that warmth, that love that I needed because I, I I'm here I am with no family, and and here they they became my family, and so Thanksgiving to me is one of those moments that, that you need to reflect upon. I don't care how difficult life has been, but there's a better day tomorrow. And there are people out there, not everybody's bad, there are good people out there. And so your miracle will be uh, as common to you. Antonio, so 25 years later, basically, from someone who didn't necessarily have a home or a stable home, who, as you said, came from a broken family, who lived on the streets, who fought his way to America, not once, but twice. You now have a home, a beautiful wife, family, children, 
a beautiful house. You just ran for city council in Geneva. You have a job. You had multiple jobs leading up to your newest job at Peterson Farms. And you have a faith in God. And that all was accomplished within 25 years. It seems like a long time for that master project for your dream, your life and your American dream here. But I see it as something more than that. And you extend all your gratitude and all your thanks already for what you've accomplished and what you're yet to do. And so as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, what can people take away? What is the greatest takeaway from your story to Geneva, Gomez? What, it, what makes your story exceptional? How does someone from the outside, someone who's a non-Guatemalan national, someone who cannot necessarily identify as an undocumented immigrant, or someone who felt displaced, engage with your story and take something meaningful away from it during this holiday season of thanksgiving well i think you have to be thankful that you are alive you are alive and there is a guy up above that is watching your steps even if you don't recognize that i i knew that back in 2000 when i um when i became a born again believer because i i had an idea about who god was and but then I had a really good experience in 2000, in September 2000, and I had a real encounter with the living God, and that totally changed my steps and to to begin to see the purpose in my life. And um, life and things that happen to you are not by coincidence, but by a purpose, by a divine purpose. And so as you go on this Thanksgiving, make sure you always be thankful for what you have and even if you don't haven't accomplished that which you have dream of, you still need to be thankful because that the we need to keep the attitude, and we have to be thankful from from uh, our Creator that even in the midst of all the storms that you have overcome and that you have gone through, and even if you identify with my story, and even if you don't, but you still uh, there is a little bit of you that wants to um, overcome. Don't forget to be thankful to what you have because there are other people that don't have not even um, a pinch of what you have. And so sometimes we, f we can focus too much on the negative that we forget about the blessings that we uh, have in our hands and we will neglect that. And thankfulness will remind us where we come, wh where we have come from. And that's what, uh, that's what the attitude that I want to leave uh, with this conversation. I want people to, this Thanksgiving to go back to where you came from. Go back to uh, the greatest things that, that challenged you and that you overcame. And just be thankful that you made it and that you're still alive and you haven't been knocked down yet. And the, the, the vision that... The, it's driving you, even though it seems hard to reach, but you, one day you will look back and you'll say, I made it. And then you're going to have another vision and you continue to overcome and conquer those uh, giants that will try to oppose who you are and to come to, to fulfill that purpose that you are here on this earth for. Antonio, thank you for your time today. I'm Gabriel Petrazio with Finger Lakes One News. And on behalf of the Finger Lakes One family, we all wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you, Gabe.
Before we go, a quick reminder that new episodes are released every week on FingerLakes1.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. You can visit InsideTheFLX.com for past episodes or to leave us a voice message. You can also drop us a line by emailing InsideTheFLX at FingerLakes1.com. Subscribe to the show wherever you are listening and become a Patreon supporter if you can. Visit www.patreon.com FL1 to learn more. Links to all of those things are available in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next time.